Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Uh, I wanted to talk about the topic of forgiveness, uh, particularly in the context of the Buddha's teaching on anatta. Anatta, A-N-A-T-T-A, is a Pali word that means the understanding the selfless nature of reality. And I'll get to that um, a little bit later in the talk. Mm. And, um, but I wanted to start out just having us reflect on something. Uh, have you ever done something that is by your judging mind stupid? What a stupid thing to do. Uh, and gave yourself a really hard time. Anybody ever have that experience? <clears throat> and maybe uh, gave yourself a hard time and just couldn't shake it, even though you knew better. You know, come on, you're trying to do the best you can, but just kept on going around and around, maybe for days or weeks, sometimes years, sometimes a lifetime and perhaps have that habit of mind that tends to move in that direction when you don't act as skillfully or wisely or, um, or as witty a conversationalist in a, in a party or uh, when you're with other people and you come back and you're just replaying the evening over and over. You remember? Maybe there's something happening right now these days where you figuratively or literally put your hand to your forehead saying, oh, what was I thinking? Mm. Maybe you have that habit of mind. So uh, I know this response very well. Um, as people who've heard me give talks uh, know I've shared many times, I did not like myself very well growing up. Uh, I, I couldn't look in the mirror really without wincing for most of my early life uh, and just didn't cut it. And I was kind of not good looking enough, not smart enough, not cool enough. I, I grew up with, uh, my name growing up was Jamie and it wasn't a cool name. I tried to go, when I went to summer camp, it, it's cool now with Jamie Fox and all other kinds of good Jamies. But in those days it, it, it wasn't cool. And I, I tried to go, um, go away to summer camp as Jimmy, but it never stuck. I was always Jamie. Um, and uh, this is a, a big part of my growing up. In fact, if you go to Dharma Seed uh, tape, uh, Dharma Seed um, 
foundation where all the Dharma talks are and everybody, all the Dharma teachers have their lists of talks. If you put in comparing mind or judging mind, you get all the talks by all the teachers with that title. I, I think I have more talks on the comparing mind and the judging mind than anyone. There's about five or six of us who have a lot of talks around that. Um, and I have given talks about it for so many years because I know it really well. And it was part of my lineage. My, I was just thinking about this. I haven't thought about it in years, uh, but it came up today. I was talking with, uh, with Jane, my wife, and just uh, looking at how this habit started. And my mom, who maybe you've seen in the, the popular YouTube video, Confessions of a Jewish Mother, she's very funny and all, but she, she gave herself even a harder time than, than I did. And I would hear my mother um, in my mind just uh, today, as I was thinking about it this morning, she would say, oh, I'm so stupid. She was a very, very smart cookie, very smart. And there she, and every time I'd hear her say it, it would just kind of be painful. Oh, I'm so stupid. And so it's not so surprising that probably I, I picked up a thing or two. And she also, you know, she could send that out to others as well, but mostly to herself. So anyway, uh, the reason why I picked this topic is something happened this week that made me reflect on this. Um, a couple of, what is today? Two, uh, two nights ago, we started the... Um, uh, the Awakening Joy course, uh, which, by the way, uh, you can join. There's still uh, anyone can join and just go to awakeningjoy.org, uh, .info, I should say. And uh, it was really exciting. And a lot of people, so, uh, quite a few people that signed up for the class. And I, um, I was really excited to start sitting in this seat. And... Um, there I am starting to lead people in a centering meditation. And all of a sudden I get these texts and, and emails and a call that my, that Jane brought down. People can't get into the zoom room. It stuck at a hundred. And I thought that I had a zoom account that had a capacity for 500. And there it was, the number stuck on 100. Oh, that's nice, 100, 100. And my thought first thought was, isn't that interesting? Exactly 100 people came. But then all these texts and emails, we can't get in, we can't get in. Well, as I'm doing the centering meditation, uh, I, I told people what was going on. I said, I think I'm, while you're meditating, I'm gonna try to see if I can upgrade the account. And you know, under that pressure, I couldn't upgrade the account. Um, I did as soon as the the um, the session ended. Um, but there I was, um, and I didn't give myself that a hard that hard a time. It was like, okay, this happens. Well, I hope they can forgive me. All I can do is just you know apologize and see what I can do to make up. And, um, and I didn't, I, I kind of, there was a part of me that laughed, a part of me that felt terrible for all of those people, but just kind of like, 
oh yeah, that's, um, uh, that's life. And uh, Jane, my wife, was amazed that I didn't beat myself up because she, she has a tendency of doing that, of being hard on herself. She said, how could you, how do, how could you do that, that you're not, you're not giving yourself a hard time? And I thought back to a lifetime of giving myself a hard time, and I was trying to explain to her what has happened over these years. It's not to say I, I still can give myself a hard time, but it doesn't last for very long, uh, generally. And I said, it, it's just amazing to think, you know, this practice really works. It really works. Now, one of the, the instructions when I first started teaching that uh, I, got, uh, I got a great transmission from my teacher, Joseph Goldstein, when I asked him 40 plus years ago, what do you think about, um, about me teaching? He said, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's, it, that's pretty good. I said, do you have any advice for me? And he gave me two pieces of advice. He said, well, don't be afraid to say you don't know when you don't know. I said, okay. And the second was, don't be afraid to be a moron. Those were his exact words. He said he'd been perfecting that for some time. Uh, and he was saying, don't be afraid to make mistakes and be able to laugh at yourself. And he's a, a tremendous embodied um, manifestation of that. So that helped a lot, but it, it wasn't a quick kind of a thing. This is over time and I wanna share a little bit about my own process, but also make it relating, uh, relating it to this teaching on anatta and maybe have us relate, uh, see if we can relate to it in our own life. Um, there's all kinds of wonderful teachings that, um, that talk about uh, judging, the judging mind and, and uh, forgiveness and um, uh, allowing yourself to not be perfect. One of my favorite teachings of all is um, in the third Zen patriarch, the um, the verses on the faith mind by Sengstan, the third Zen patriarch of China, where he says um, to live in the highest realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. He says, that's when you know you've really made it. To live in the highest realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection, that you can let go of being perfect. This is when you know you've really developed some strength of practice. On, um, on one retreat, I had to come to terms with the judging mind. In my earlier years, this is a very key piece in my practice. And on one retreat, um, another couplet from the thir Third Zen Patriarch uh, was a big uh, support in this practice. One of the lines is, um, the burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. 
the burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. And that made so much sense to me. I was getting so tired of beating myself up and I decided to play a little game. Every time I noticed a judging thought, which was a lot, I would just add on the first few words, the burdensome practice of judging, just as a reminder. Right. So I'd go into the, the dining room at uh, the meditation center in Barrie, Massachusetts, uh, particularly at mealtimes. If you've ever been on a retreat, mealtimes are rampant opportunity for judging. You know, like, you know, oh my goodness, look at how much food they put on their plate. The burdensome practice of judging. You know. Oh, Look at Miss Mindfulness there trying to be so impressive. The burdensome practice of judging. I just watched my mind do this. Oh, what a klutz, I just dropped my fork. The burdensome practice of judging. And I'd go through the meals really saying this 50, 75 times a meal. It was just so incessant. And after a while, you just have to laugh. You know, it's like, wow, look at this mind. It's just going on and on and on. So that was a big uh, retreat gift, just noticing the judging mind. Another practice that I've shared on retreats and maybe some of you have heard, which was my main practice for about two years, again, that started on retreat and carried through on and off um, both informal practice and, uh, and in my life, I saw that when I noticed the judging mind, I'd notice it with a lot of judgment. So I'd see it. And I, for instance, I'd see my mind wander off in the meditation and I'd say, oh, wandering. And then I'd realize, oh, that was a judging thought. First, I'd say, oh, come on, man, judging. Oh, that's another, that's a judging thought. Damn it. Oh, that's another judging thought. And it just go on and on and on. I could see the way I was noticing the judging thought was just adding more judgment. So what I started to do at one point, I got the idea, what if I change the tone in the noticing? And instead of noticing judging, I noticed it with the kindest voice possible. And this became my practice. Some of you have done this before. If you like, you can try it again. It's, it was my variation of the self-compassion practice where you put your hand on your heart. And mine was this, this is like early eighties. Uh, this is what I would do. You can try it with me. Uh, put your hand on your cheek. You can close your eyes if you'd like, if you don't want to feel self-conscious. And suppose you've just had a judging thought. And instead of noticing it with that critical voice, as you're holding your cheek or caressing your cheek in the kindest voice, as if you were Kuan Yin or the Dalai Lama or some wise grandmother or grandfather, just saying in the kind voice, oh, judging, judging, and let your, yourself feel that soft, tender voice, oh, judging, 
It's okay. Can you feel that? That became my main practice for two years. That was a, a huge shift. And then every time I'd notice a judging comment, instead of it being a, a time for self-flagellation, this is a time to practice compassion. So I started to become excited when I noticed the judging thought because it was a time to practice compassion. As I said, both on the cushion in retreat and off the cushion. And I didn't do this all the time. I did it a lot at the beginning, but after a while, the voice inside my head actually got in the habit of noticing, oh, it's judging, it's okay, dear, you're doing the best you can. So these are some practices, I'll share a little bit more, but one thing I wanna just um, communicate here as I was talking with Jane about how this process has happened and how over time it's changed is you can know the, you can have the understanding here, but it takes a while for the body to catch up with the mind. You can have all the great Dharma quotes and really the, the clear conceptual understanding of, oh, why give yourself a hard time? But still you do it because those practices have been cultivated over years, over years. And so you have to be patient for the body to catch up with the mind, with what the mind knows. Just like on a metta practice, a metta retreat, when you're doing it, you're planting seeds. And at first you're noticing all the things that get in the way of metta. And that's part of it. You just keep on programming and after a while those seeds sprout. Another uh, turning point in my, in my practice, and we'll get to the anatta soon, um, was on a, a, an early long retreat. It was a three month retreat. And I was really into the practice, really doing it diligently. And I loved to walk slowly in the spirit of lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing. In those days, I had a lot better balance than I do now. And I just loved to go slow. And I, at times, loved to see just how slowly I could go. And this one particular moment that was a turning point for me, I'm right there right now, in the walking room was I was all alone in the, in the walking room. Nobody was there. So I decided to see just how slowly I could go just crawling. I pretended if you're old enough to remember, I was the French mime Marcel Marceau who kind of barely moved and you, you could see that at, he was moving, but you couldn't even see the movement. And I said, oh, I'll be like Marcel Marceau and just see how slowly I can go. I was all alone. In this, in this moment, during this game, somebody comes into the walking room 
who had just come onto the retreat in the very first two years of the three-month retreat, they had a two-week retreat tacked on at the end. They only did it for two years and they said, not such a good idea because you can really feel somebody's energy when they come from the outside world. But there I was doing this crawling, slow meditation and I knew this was gonna blow, blow this person's mind, but I wasn't gonna change. You know, this is my, my trip. And this person was going back and forth and back and forth. And after about less than five minutes, they bolted out of the room. And I, which I was sure was because of me. And as they crossed my field of vision, the thought came to me, wow, I really blew her mind. She must think I am a fantastic yogi. And then I heard that thought reverberating through my mind. All of this ego and presentation and look at me and aren't I wonderful. And, and it was so disgusting. It was like I had dropped into this dungeon of ego and presentation. And I, I was pacing back and forth, back and forth. I'll never get out of this head. I'll never, who, what kind of a phony are you? You think you're such a hotshot yogi. You're just full of ego. You'll never change. I did that for about 10 minutes. And then I was hearing my mind, my voice, and it occurred to me, the millions and millions and millions of times that I had that kind of a thought, oh, what do they think of me? Look at me, am I doing okay? And it was just that I caught it so much more clearly because my mind was so quiet. And when I thought of the millions of times in this lifetime, then I started to think about countless lifetimes this wave of genuine compassion came over me and I, I'm just feeling it now. And I said to myself, you are busting your butt. You are really giving it your all. And this is going to take a while. You've got to be patient with yourself, but you're really trying. And it was, it was one of the moments that my heart just cracked open and softened and could see, oh yeah, cut yourself some slack. This is going to take a while. You've practiced it in a different way. So we all have these moments maybe where just for a, for a little while you, you soften your heart and see your humanness, see your humanity and the humility that follows is a tremendous power. In a moment, instead of look at me, there's this humility. First, it can be being humbled but then a true humility where you are softening to see how human you are. The same word of humility, the same root human and humanness. 
And when the heart softens and you see your good intention, that makes a huge difference. I remember the Dalai Lama, I was in a, uh, in a conference with Western Buddhist uh, teachers with the Dalai Lama and somebody asked him, oh, how do you, how do you deal with all the, uh, all the suffering that you see? And he said, my sincere motivation is my greatest intention that allows me to be with the difficult. And somebody then asked him the next day, how do you work with all the fear that you encounter? He said, sometimes he gets afraid. And he said, my sincere motivation is my great protection. So it's this sincerity and this humility that is really the key where you are surrendering, not my will, but thy will, which leads me to uh, the teaching on anatta. And as I said, anatta is the, um, the word that means the, stands for not self or the selfless nature of reality. And I wanna read to you a little bit from the uh, anatta Lank lankana sutta, anatta lankana sutta, which was the second sutta, the second discourse that the Buddha gave uh, to the, his five cohorts that he'd been practicing with for, for, for six years. The first sutta was about the Four Noble Truths, the Dhamma Chakra Sutta of turning the wheel, the Four Noble Truths. And one of the, his compadres was enlightened on that first sutta, first discourse. This was the second one. And with this discourse, the other four became enlightened, just hearing this teaching. So you ready? You never know what's gonna happen. Basically what he says, I'll just read a little bit. He says, he addressed the group of five monks, form, that is this body is not self. If form were self, then form would not lead to affliction and it should obtain regarding form. May my form be thus, like may my body be this way. May my form not be thus. And indeed, since form is not self, therefore form leads to affliction and does not obtain regarding form. May my form be thus, may my body, may my body be not be thus. And he goes through, that is to say, your body is not in your control, is it? If it was, you wouldn't hurt. You'd say, oh, stop hurting, please. But it's not in your control, is it? I'm sure you've noticed that plenty, maybe even today. And then he goes through the same thing with the, the other four, what are called aggregates. That is uh, the feeling tone of experience, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. If you could control how experience landed, you'd only have pleasant experience. Things would be pleasant, but sometimes they're unpleasant. They land as unpleasant. And then he says the same thing with perception. What you, when you see something, oh, there's that light. Uh, oh, that's a nice light. Oh, that's not nice. Oh, that's dirty. 
if perception was under your control, you would only have pleasant experience. And he says the same thing with our mind, with our thoughts, with what are called the mental formations. He says, if you could control the thoughts that come through your mind, you'd only have pleasant thoughts, but they're not under your control, are they? And then the fifth one is about consciousness, also not under your control. So he says, what do you think? I'll just abbreviate the rest of it. What do you think, uh, O oh monks? Uh, do you think that, we'll just use thoughts for now, do you think thoughts are permanent or impermanent? Impermanent, O oh Lord. Now, what is impermanent? Is it unsatisfactory or satisfactory? Unsatisfactory, O oh Lord because there's no lasting happiness that you can have from them. And then he says, surely then one can reflect, this is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. So he says, take a look and understand your thoughts are just coming through on their own. And if you had control over them, you would only have pleasant thoughts, but they're not. The first time I realized I have no control over the thoughts that are coming through my mind, it was a great relief. Oh, wow. Then I don't have to blame myself for what comes through. I don't say, you know, I could go for a little self-doubt right now. No, it just comes up all on its own. Oh, yes. How about some rage? That would do me. No, it just comes up on its own. And the same with love. Oh, it just comes up on its own. And to see the selfless nature of reality is so incredibly liberating. When you're not blaming yourself for the thoughts that come through or for the actions that result from the thoughts that you have, whether they're fear-based thoughts or lust-based thoughts or obsessive thoughts, they're just patterns, like I saw in that walking meditation. They're just patterns and habits of mind. And the more you can see them simply as habits, the more you start to develop that patience and see, I am going to practice seeing these thoughts without the usual judgment and even seeing the judgment as habits and start to hold them with that beautiful self-compassion practice and start to see how empty these thoughts are. They come out of nowhere and they go back to nowhere. And this is where it's so important to get in touch with your uh, motivation and commitment to keep noticing with kindness. That is the essence of mindfulness practice. It's not just enough to notice, oh yeah, there's another judging thought. There's another one. Yep, there's another one. 
the healing comes from noticing with, with patience and with kindness and to see how these habits have formed. And little by little by little, you start to change. I'm here to tell you it's possible to change. And the key is to have that pure motivation of intending to change. <clears throat> my, my son, Adam, who is now 34, when he was 21, he met a, a great Tibetan master uh, on his 21st birthday. He had been practicing with him and then he got a, an interview with him on his 21st birthday. And imagine the day he becomes officially an adult and this great master, Ayeng Rinpoche, uh, the master of Poa, uh, learning how to die well. Uh, Adam asked, he said, do you have any advice? I'm, I'm turning 21 today. And Adam told him a bit about his life and the, the master could sense it. And he said, yes, two things that occur to me. One is to realize the extraordinary good karma that you have, not only being born human, but to love the Dharma as you do and have good circumstances. And then he said, the second is to keep connected to your perfectly pure motivation. If you stay connected to your perfectly pure motivation to awaken, everything else will follow. You'll learn what you need to learn. You'll grow the way you need to grow. And you'll learn more and more about kindness for who you are and how it is not just for you, but for everyone. And that is what I want to remind all of us. And as I end this, I just want to um, have us reflect for a few moments. We don't have time to do the breakout rooms. I thought maybe we would, but we don't. But just go inside and just think of maybe times where you uh, somehow missed the mark and you were giving yourself a difficult time. And just recall in your wisest moments, in your wisest moments, how did you get in touch with just a little bit of a softening of the heart? What do you do in your wisest moments when you're hard on yourself? And if there, you can't think of anything right now, that's okay. Don't judge yourself for that. Be kind for that. And Get in touch with your genuine, pure motivation to more and more wake up to that habit with kindness 
for yourself and for everyone in your life. You're perfectly, your pure motivation to keep waking up for yourself and for the benefit of all. And as you're in touch with it, see if you can make a commitment to keep on going in this direction with great patience and seeing your humanity and continual learning as one of my teachers says, as long as you're learning, there are no mistakes. And know that that understanding of anatta, of the selfless nature of reality, is a key to forgiveness. Rather than forgiving yourself, it's all just habits that are practiced. And just like you can practice the ones that don't serve you, you definitely can practice the ones that do. So we can take a, a few minutes. Sorry, we don't have many more. Um, any comments or questions or things that you want to share? You can raise your hand. Uh, this is uh, two pages. So if you want, it's either in your participants box or if you go to the reactions box on the, on the bottom over on the right side, and you raise your hand and then it appears in the corner like that. I'll lower my hand now. And, uh, and then we can call on you. Yeah, Denise, hi. And unmute yourself too. Yeah, yeah. hi, hi um, James. I just wanted to say um, a couple things. One was that I was in the Awakening Joy class the other night <laughs> when that happened. Oh yeah. And, and so the funny thing was, was that my, um, self was to immediately go on zoom and figure out how to solve your problem. Mm -hmm. And so, and so in the meantime, you're saying, let's all just center, you know, I got it under control and I'm like, no, wait, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. Mm -hmm. And, and then I was like, Oh my God, just, you know, so that was one thing. And the other thing was that I think because of the way that you handled it, it was easier for us, no at good. least for me, because it wasn't, like so stressful but anyway had to share uh, that it was uh, funny. thanks thanks <laughs> glad you were there yeah there's uh there's a line in the um uh i'm thinking of shanti deva he says if there if you're worried and there's there's something you can do about it or something is is awful and there's nothing you can do about it why worry and if something is awful and there's some there's something you can do about it why worry? Um, but it takes a while to get there. 
Hey, Gene, hi. And unmute yourself too. You got it on that by your mic on the lower. There you go. Okay. Sorry. I decided to speak after Denise because I was on that Tuesday night waiting uh -huh. to get on Zoom. <laughs> and um, I, I wrote a text or an email or something. But when I finally heard that there was this limit of 100 people, then it was like, Oh, it isn't for me to just figure out because it's not just me. So that was a relief. And then the thought that came to me is, well, now I can just sit here and meditate. And what came to me is the course is awakening joy. And my mind went to the joy of awakening. Because mm. I was awakening in the moment that everything is okay and um that i'm awakening uh, can't <laughs> lose about you know my uh, motivation was to learn from uh, you and so somehow i learned from that night so don't be uh, so hard on yourself uh, <laughs> it got me to the joy uh, of, beautiful of awakening uh, thank you so much by the way i'm i'm doing a makeup class next tuesday uh, oh. for, uh, for I, I sent out the letter today. Uh, so everyone who missed it, I'm doing that as a makeover again. Okay, great. So, Thank um, you. Uh, uh, Dan Daniela, hi. Hi. I was also there on the side that didn't get in. <laughs> and it was just so interesting. It was so interesting to notice. It was almost like I couldn't invite a better way to look at the reactions. <laughs> I have a, a group of nine people who are who are doing it and just see you know everybody had a different reaction to that there was a person there saying oh great now I have an hour to do more work and there's a person saying that's really not okay I was so excited to get that started but it just has to be it, it was fascinating <laughs> a, a little Rorschach test for <laughs> for your internal reality yeah uh, well thanks I Glad you're you're still smiling. <laughs> no, a lot. Of, I, I actually really enjoyed. There was a lot of lessons in there. It was, uh -huh. yeah. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, one last one. There's a, an iPhone with uh, without a picture, but uh, why don't you why don't you talk? Yeah. Hi, James. Thank you very much. My name is Tara. Sorry, I can't reveal my video today. Hi, Tara. Um, did, hi. I did the Awakening Joy class last year and did uh, really appreciate it. I wanted to say how timely your message was today. I've been struggling a lot with um, decisions I made some time ago, a few years ago, that still continue to haunt me with the judging mind. Mm -hmm. um, it resulted in a number of losses um, mm -hmm. that I'm trying to recover from, including mm -hmm. trying to find a job, housing, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, um, I appreciate the examples that are sort of temporal in the moment, but those decisions that just sort of ricochet over the years that um, have constant reminders um, mm -hmm. what you've done. Um, I'm just wondering if you can speak to that. Um, yeah, okay, then, sure. Thank you. Sure, in, in just a, a couple of minutes, two things that come to my mind. One is the, the line that I love that uh, it says, forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. Yeah. That 
there's no way you can change the past. Why spend the rest of your life in the past giving yourself a hard time? So that's one. You can't change the past. But the second is, as is often the case, if you learn to hold the past with kindness, it can become one of the most important gifts of all. Ramdas talks in terms of your life is your curriculum. When you take refuge in the Dharma, you're seeing that life is giving you just what you need to wake up in every moment. And when you look back on the lessons that you've learned, probably some of the most important lessons have been times that you've, you've gotten through difficulties. And so I just hope that you take this as part of your curriculum, how to deal with adversity, how to be resilient and bounce back. Here you are, you're, you're here on a Thursday night wanting to spend with all of us. Something must be going well in your life and to focus on what you can do now with your life and learn from the past, hold it with compassion, not just for yourself, but for everyone who makes mistakes or, or who makes choices and to really hold them, hold yourself the way you would hold them. It's part of your curriculum and you have the rest of your life now to look forward to. And the more you focus on gratitude for all the blessings in your life while you hold those, quote, mistakes, um, the more that every moment counts. So um, good luck to you on that. That's, that's how I do it. Thank you. Mm. Finally, the, 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 the one line I, I meant to give in the talk, it's one of my favorite lines by uh, Wei Wu Wei, who is this brilliant, pithy Dharma uh, sage, a British guy, actually, who took on the Chinese name. He has these pithy teachings, and he says about humility, true humility is the absence of anyone to be proud. True humility is the absence of anyone to be proud when it's not, oh, how am I doing? Or, oh, I'm such an awful person or whatever. When you let go of that self and you surrender that it's just life expressing itself through you, then there's a, a sense of true humility and surrender and seeing you are just life expressing itself through you. So I, I hope you um, enjoy that practice and stay connected with your pure motivation. If you found uh, being kind to yourself with a soft, soft voice uh, judging or a hand on your heart or the self-compassion practice, um, then do that and just stay connected to your pure motivation. So I think, um, I think we'll, we'll just need to uh, dedicate the, um, the evening. It's just nine o'clock. So invite us all to feel connected, go inside and get in touch with our 
perfectly pure motivation or even if it's imperfectly pure. That would have you join us on a Thursday night. That place inside of you that wants to wake up and grow and love even more. And celebrate that for a moment. And the fact that we're here as Dharma brothers and sisters, supporting each other. Whatever we have created here together inside and shared amongst us, any good that results from that be shared for the benefit of all beings everywhere and this wonderful planet that supports us. May all know true happiness and peace and healing.